back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast where we discuss Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts for today, Kathy and Karen. We are now in episode nine of the Tang Dynasty drama, The Longest Day in Chang'an, or in Mandarin, Chang'an Shen. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. As always, this podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Additionally, we reference translations from what is provided online, and we will also provide our own. For this podcast episode, we will first start with an episode recap and then move on to history and book differences. In the last episode, Zhang Xiaojing has found the lair of the Wolf Squad members but was captured by them given their numbers versus just one Zhang Xiaojing. He did meet up with an old acquaintance or someone who is perhaps more than that, Wen Ran. Both she and Wang Yunxiu were captured by the Wolf Squad members, but she was able to be released since it appears that she knows a lot of information. Zhang Xiaojing was captured and he's being tortured while Li Bi in Jinglanzi as well as the right chancellor Lin Jiulong are getting more information about Zhang Xiaojing. This is where we turn to the beginning of episode 9. Li Bi hears from Yao Runeng that Zhang Xiaojing's actions for today may have ulterior motives, while Lin Jiulang, the right chancellor, learns from a talented spy that Zhang Xiaojing's imprisonment was related to the forced displacement of several residents for diplomatic housing that Lin Jiulang was leading the charge in building. From the two separate parties, we get the more detailed picture that Zhang Xiaojing may have killed the 34 members of the Blaze Gang or Xiong in response to them killing a Wen Wuji. The Blaze Gang component will come into play later on. Let's get back to Zhang Xiaojing. Poor man is getting tortured and about to be eliminated when he uses his brain to buy himself some time. Tied up, he says he can write down the detailed map of Chang'an for them. Cao Poyan is unyielding to Zhang Xiaojing's offer, but Ma Ge'er, the other leader, you could say, in this group, doesn't listen to Cao Poyan and actually beats Cao Poyan up instead. Ma Ge'er frees Zhang Xiaojing so he can create this map. The woman, Wang Yunxiu, is also brought forward. This chick, ugh. She boils my blood every time I see her. She does not understand why Zhang Xiaojing is actually creating the map for these terrorists and instead shouts that he is a traitor. A friendly reminder that Wang Yunxiu is the daughter of the famed general Wang Zhongzi, so she is extremely arrogant and has all these things to say about what my father would do, but she has, uh, it's easy to see, no brains. We next get a flashback to the Siege of the Beacon, where we see Wen Wuji leaving the safety of the Beacon camp to hunt for a wolf to feed the men. Just as Wen Wuji is waiting for the wolf to be ensnared in his trap, he himself, unfortunately, is captured by the enemy. 
Wen Wuji is injured in the leg and about to die, but is thankfully rescued by Zhang Xiaojing. The men finally get a full meal with wolf meat, but Wen Wuji is now forever crippled. I believe that we really got this flashback scene because of old man Wen's next statement. He says, you know, I have a feeling that after this, we will be headed for the good days. Come visit me in Chang'an when this is all over and we will be together always. This really, for me, is a sad moment because we know that most of these men don't make it out alive. This point really hits home in the next few scenes when Zhang Xiaojing reveals to Wang Yunxiu that he's drawing a map of the right chancellor's location in Chang'an. We then cut to the right chancellor where he's learning about Zhang Xiaojing. In that fateful year of the Siege of the Beacon, our right chancellor was just promoted to the Minister of War, and according to the then-general Gai Jiayun, it was the Minister of War who forbade him from rescuing these men. Who was that minister? Well, our Lin Jiulong. While all of this is happening, our buddy Cui Ti is still stuck in a parade waiting to watch the performance of the megastar singer Xu Hezi. I kind of have sympathy for Cui Ti being annoyed at being stuck in a parade because being in this type of crowd is just annoying. But then, hey, he was the one to make the decision to take this route in the first place. In the last episode, Xu Hezi was hyped up to the nth degree, and we finally see her perform an extravagant performance. The goal is to win the right to enter the palace tonight and meet the emperor. For this performance, and honestly, this whole drama, I am loving the use of diegetic music in which our characters are actually fully aware of the music that is being performed around them. It's not just purely background music. Xu Hezi performs a beautiful rendition of Li Bai's The Short Ballad or Duan Ge Xing. We will, of course, discuss this later on. Her brother, Xu Ge, is accompanying her on the bamboo flute while she sings her song. I'm a little confused with the drum players and the other float uh, when Xu Hezi was singing because I couldn't tell if they were trying to help accompany her song or else try to drown out her voice in the competition. Regardless, I love this scene because as she does her second verse, her brother joins in and so does the crowd in an emotional swell of music. Not only that, we get a beautiful number of shots of women in the crowd with exquisitely done makeup and hairstyles, which we will discuss. I love this attention to detail and the time and intricacy the drama put in to show us, the audience, how much care these ladies in Chang'an put into their appearance on this festive day. We now cut to Wen Ren, who has been captured by members of the Blaze gang and now ordered to lead them to Zhang Xiaojing. In this episode, she really cannot catch a break. As Zhang Xiaojing completes the map of the right chancellor, the Blaze gang come charging in to kill Zhang Xiaojing. 
Little do they know they are greeted by members of the Wolf Squad. Zhang Xiaojing tries to make his escape, and it turns into a very gruesome match. Wen Ran gets further captured by the Wolf Squad again, and I'm like, move, woman. <laughs> also, Captain Sui and his Lu Benjun finally arrive, literally episodes late. You just had to take a detour and get stuck watching Xu Hezi. Meanwhile, Zhang Xiaojing is over here beating the crap out of members of the Wolf Squad despite his injuries, but man, does it look painful. The tide turns with Captain Tui Ti's arrival. It's hilarious because there's three groups fighting each other and the Blaze Gang or the Xiong Huo Bang is just caught in the crossfire. Poor guys, they had absolutely no idea what they walked into and were murdered pretty ruthlessly, not only by members of the Lang Wei or Wolf Squad, but also Tui Ti's army as well. Captain Sui has a vendetta against the Wolf Squad member Cao Po Yan. If you'll recall, Cao Po Yan killed Captain Sui's brother in the very first episode. So Captain Sui is really intent on killing this particular Wolf Squad member. Captain Sui almost succeeds, but Cao Po Yan just so happens to capture the escaping Wen Ran. As I was watching this scene, I was like, oh my goodness, can you both catch a break? Wen Ran was locked up with Wang Yunxiu, but she quickly subdues Wang Yunxiu to try and escape. And now she's captured by Cao Po Yan. It's just this time, Cao Po Yan knows that she betrayed them and ends up bluffing to Captain Cui instead, telling him that Wen Ran is actually Wang Yunxiu. Captain Cui has no choice but to fall back because if Wang Yunxiu, who is the daughter of the great general Wang Zhongsi. If she gets killed, then he will get punished. So he essentially has no choice but to allow the two of them to escape. That ends the plot recap. The only other point I want to highlight is that in this episode, we are getting more frequent questions from both Li Bi and the right chancellor as to how Zhang Xiaojing was selected for today's important task. Xu Bing continues to reinforce that it was Da An Du Shu or the case file database that selected Zhang Xiaojing. But the fact that so many odd threads today seem to be connected to Zhang Xiaojing makes his selection, totally impartial, be rather improbable. As for differences with the book, what is more apparent as the book and drama goes on is that the drama follows the book's progression in broad strokes, but then does a bunch of its own elaboration to great effect and sometimes maybe a little bit too much. For example, the drama added the performance of the megastar Xu Hezi and the color of Cui Ti dragging his feet to meet up with Zhang Xiaojing. Also, all of these flashback scenes of Zhang Xiaojing back in the day with his buddies uh, during his military time, not fully described during these scenes, at least in the book. But the book 
does include the scenes where Zhang Xiaojing is fighting with the wolf squad, people where the Blaze gang also does barge in, and finally Captain Tsui also shows up and enters the fray. So these broad strokes are there, and the drama manages to add more color, which I appreciate for the most part. Let's turn now to some history. First is the jiegu, or drum, that the right chancellor is beating in the beginning of the episode. We got a small glimpse of this type of drum in the last episode, but we really do see the right chancellor playing or beating this drum today, so that's why we are discussing it in this episode. The drums are two-sided with a skinny waist, so an hourglass shape, and typically made with male sheep skin for the drums. The drums are typically played with sticks in both hands, but as we see in this episode, you can play it with just your hands if you'd like. The drums themselves were first adopted from Central Asia during the Northern and Southern dynasties in the 5th and 6th centuries AD. That's when they were first introduced. These drums became much more popular during the reign of Emperor Tang Xuanzong, who is our emperor in this drama. Hence why we see these types of drums in this drama quite a bit. Let's now turn to what I would say is the highlight of the episode. The performance from Xu Hezi on her magnificent float. Let's first discuss the song she sings. And for me, or for us, it's really like a finally, we get to chat about the other prominently featured song in this drama, Duan Ge Xing, or The Short Ballad. We got a small snippet in episode six, but now we get to hear this song in all of its glory. The original poem was written by the famed Tang Dynasty poet Li Bai. According to a compiler of Li Bai's poems, he places the writing of this poem around 737 AD, before the poet arrived in Chang'an. As a reminder, we are now in 744 AD. Here is the original text spoken in Mandarin. 白日何端端, 一半已成双 the days are too short, 100 years quickly pass by. The sky above is boundless, the thousands of lifetimes are too long. Even the goddess Magu, known for her longevity, has half a head of white hair. The king father of the east and the jade goddess smile after every score in their pitch pot games, and they have smiled for hundreds of millions of scores. I want to ride the carriage with the six dragons east to the mythical land of Fusang. Using the wine from the Big Dipper, I will persuade each dragon to drink so that they will fall into a deep sleep and cannot ride in the morning. I wish not for riches or wealth, 
but for people to grasp their lives and their youth. The song in the drama adds a few words here and there to the poem, but the meaning is still very much the same. It maybe is just me. I really do like the song or sung version compared to my spoken version of this poem. This poem followed a yufu style, in which a poem was composed in a folk song style. The name itself, duan gexing, or the short ballad, was a style of poem. So there are several duan gexings, but I would say this one and another one written by Cao Cao are probably the most famous. Oftentimes, during a banquet, a song would be sung with accompanying text. The tones were short, hence why they were called the short ballad, or duan gexing. For this poem, as you heard with my translation, Li Bai, the author, drew heavily from Taoist texts or ancient mythical Chinese texts, including Shen Xianzhuan, or the biographies of the deities, Shen Yijing, or a classic of the deities and the extraordinary, to reference the gods and goddesses and the skies above. The carriage with the six dragons represented the sun god who would ride the carriage every day to bring daylight. This is similar to the role the Greek god Helios had in Greek mythology. To me, this is a pretty unique poem from Li Bai in that he is able to aptly blend the mythical with reality. He laments the shortness of life and contrasts this with the never-ending lives of the gods above, or even the multiple lives or multiple worlds a la Buddhism. Li Bai here is expressing that he wants to make changes not for himself, but for all of mankind, and to allow for mankind to live a little bit longer. Li Bai was in his 30s when he wrote this poem, and he's still trying to become a member at court. During this time, he did write several poems on spirituality in hopes of gaining favor with the powerful in Chang'an. But I believe this poem was more of a way for himself to express his thoughts about his mortality. This poem, Duan Gexing, along with the poem Qing Pingyue, which was discussed earlier, are excellent examples of Chinese poems being set to music, which was their original purpose. The song itself that we hear in the drama is hauntingly beautiful and showcases many traditional Chinese instruments. If you listen closely to the scene in this episode, the main feature is the singer Xu Hezi, but it is accompanied by the bamboo flute, drums, I believe pipa, and there's one main instrument I really can't put my ear on. It's kind of hard to distinguish because there's several other instruments accompanying our singer, but this song nevertheless is very much a treat or a showcase of Chinese musical instruments. According to the author, there weren't float battles per se during the Tang Dynasty. There were definitely floats, but the part about these battles were embellished by the author. Honestly, I am totally okay with it because 
Where else are we going to get such a lovely scene between two forms of art? We have drums on one side and a singer on the other. Now that we've finished with the performance, let's turn our attention to the costumes and makeup for the scene. I want us to focus on the ladies in the audience. During the Tang Dynasty, women had a plethora of options for hairstyles, makeup, and clothing. We will spend more time discussing women's fashion as well as Tang Dynasty makeup and hairstyles as we see more female characters don those types of clothing. If you'll notice, most of the women so far have focused more on men style of clothing. Now back to the women in the audience. Tang Dynasty women would powder their faces white and then add rouge. There were different types or styles of makeup such as the peach blossom style, the face style, the drunken style, the teardrop style, etc. As for eyebrows, there were also plenty of styles. Women used shi dai or something typically made with graphite as the tool for coloring and styling eyebrows. There were many styles such as the willow brow, the eight brow, and the moon brow. As for hairstyles, there were over 200 different types of named hairstyles during the Tang Dynasty, but many really focused on having very tall hair, if you'll notice in kind of the shots that we have in this particular episode. The makeup artists and hairstylists for this drama spent countless hours pouring through history books and artifacts to recreate the splendor of the Tang Dynasty styles, so do spend some time in this episode to enjoy them. As for Xu Hezi, our main singer and star of this episode, her hairstyle is a shuang huan wang xian ji, or a double ring fairy bun, which was recorded as a style during the Tang Dynasty. If you also look when she turns around, there's a small comb added to the back of her head. That was customary during the middle Tang Dynasty period, which is where we are now. And you'll see combs in many different Tang Dynasty styles. A lot of times those were used as accessories, but they were also used to kind of hold the hairstyle in place. Apparently <laughs> for the drama, Xu Hezi's particular hairstyle took over six hours to complete. As for her costume for this scene, it is also a close replica of a Tang Dynasty relic that depicts the double ring fairy bun, the long dress, and even the sashes that she in the drama is wearing. As for the coloring, because we don't have that based on the stone or statue replicas, the costume designer decided to go with the green and red mix because those two were very favorite colors during the Tang Dynasty. Speaking of Xu Hezi, in the drama, they changed her name from Xu Hezi to Xu Hezi. I wouldn't be surprised if that was still the same with regards to the censorship. It's very subtle, and when you're yelling or shouting, you don't really have to be very discerning of whether it is Xu Hezi or Xu Hezi. 
According to history, it is unclear when she was born, but she did live and flourish during this time period as a famed singer during the reign of Emperor Tang Xuanzong. There are numerous records of her accomplishments, but I'm going to hold off on them here. We will see Xu Hezi later in the drama, and that is where we will expand more of her history. Fun facts before we close out this episode, Xu Hezi was the subject of a 2003, yes, 2003 drama called Da Tang Gefei or High Flying Songs of the Tang Dynasty, where the drama was pretty much about Xu Hezi's life during the Tang Dynasty. In that drama, there are many familiar characters such as Li Bai, Emperor Tang Xuanzong, concubine Yang, and several others. I remember that drama as one of the dramas I watched as a kid on the janky Chinese channels my parents bought. So I don't think I ever watched the full drama, but certainly got certain snippets of it. Interestingly, in many lists of top portrayals of concubine Yang or Yang Guifei, the woman in this drama Da Tang Gefei is usually included. Meaning, we had a great rendition of Yang Guifei here. For those who are interested to see what people think is the right portrayal of Yang Guifei, plus there were many heavy hitters in this drama Da Tang Gefei that today I'm like, wow, how did they all agree to make this drama? And I will say I am really proud of myself for going into my、uh, very young age brain to be like, "Hey, Xu Hezi, that name sounds so familiar." Twenty years later, when we are <laughs> analyzing the longest day in Chang'an, to remember that yes, back in the day when I was a young girl, I remembered watching this one drama, Da Tang Gefei. And that is it for this podcast episode. The music for this episode is "Qingpingyue," played by Karen, with sheet music by Cui Jianghui. If you're looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., head over to our sponsor Jubao TV. That's J U B A O TV. It's a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. They've recently launched on Sling TV, and you can stream Jubao through the website Jumo, the platform Plex, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. Again, all of this is free. Thank you so much for joining. We will catch you all in the next episode.